In the year 2019-2020, an estimated 693,000 workers in Great Britain sustained a non-fatal injury at work. The figure, which comes from the Office of National Statistics Labour Force Survey, represents 2,160 injuries per 100,000 workers. The rate had been steadily decreasing for decades. This self-reported rate passed just below 4,000 per 100,000 in 2000 to 2001. But then it stopped reducing. We reached the present level about 10 years ago. Minor fluctuations in the statistics, which we have linked to in the show notes, have occurred since then. But in the broad, the rate of injury has remained stubbornly where it is. Around a quarter of these injuries resulted in a seven-day or more absence from work, with a total of 6.3 million days due to workplace injury. This is equivalent to 1.45 working days lost per worker over the year. So improvements to the rate of injury are not just important on a human level, they make economic sense too. This has been the focus of numerous bits of legislation over the years, with one landmark example being the Health and Safety at Work Act of 1974. It differed from earlier prescriptive legislation that looked to solve particular issues or give detailed regulations to a struggling sector. The Act introduced a new system built on goal-based regulations, supported by guidance and codes of practice. For the first time, employers and employees were to be consulted and engaged in the process of designing a modern health and safety system. It also saw the creation of the Health and Safety Commission to propose new regulations, and also its enforcing arm, the Fearsome Health and Safety Executive. And since the 1980s, the HSE says that half of all improvements to these numbers have come from the changing nature of UK industry as it moves from a more industrial to a more services-based economy. The other half of the progress has come from refining best practice on site, cultural change and legislative tweaks since the Act was introduced. But with the improvements flatlining, Industry needs to look at new innovations to further advance worker safety. It needs to look in unexpected places, and the answers could be hiding in plain sight. One answer might even be hiding under our feet. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Rian Owen. In this episode, we've partnered with Trojan Services to look at how an innovation will tackle a major health and safety issue in the rail industry. And hear the story of a man who came from the chemicals industry, but is starting to transform the rail industry. To do this, he is working on products that target the majority of the non-fatal injuries we were talking about in the intro. Of those remaining non-fatal injuries that industry is struggling to reduce further, some 29% are slips, trips or falls on the same level, while 19% are from handling, lifting or carrying. This innovation will help reduce those two risks by addressing a hazard that is present along almost the entire length of the UK's rail network. That's 16,000 kilometres of track. 
And the risk? Cable troughing. Those heavy, traditionally concrete housings that are dug in at the side of the track regularly cause handling injuries during installation due to their weight and size. And once in place, the flat concrete lid looks easy to walk on, at least to a worker trudging through ballast. Big mistake. We will learn about a lightweight alternative to concrete troughing that is easier, and so safer, to handle, actually designed for walking on, is endlessly recyclable and designed and fabricated entirely in Britain. A British success story. But before we meet the man behind the creation, we need to understand a bit more about the problem. To do that, we spoke to Rob Mole, a man who is sick of the concrete status quo. Until recently, Rob was a programme manager for Network Rail, working on phase one of the £1 billion East-West Rail project, which plans to connect East Anglia with central, southern and western England. Most notably, rebuilding a link between Oxford and Cambridge. Phase one had been completed, and Rob had moved on to other projects. But then COVID-19 gripped the world, and he was appointed as Network Rail's Senior Programme Manager for COVID Response. Also known as... Also known as the COVID Commander, dealing with a regional response to COVID. Rob kindly agreed to call in from site to tell us about the constant headaches he has experienced due to traditional cable troughing. So apologies for the audio quality. You'll see a U-shaped trough with a concrete lid on the top. And generally, because they move, you can't walk on them because they crack and break and you fall through and injure yourself. And they're just very heavy, as you can imagine. A a hollow concrete box is not light because they're reinforced as well. Uh, but they generally get chips on the outside. And once, once the reinforcement's exposed, you need to replace them because they start breaking down. You would think concrete would be a fairly long-term product, but the concrete troughs deteriorate quite quickly in the ground. And Rob says that there are problems putting them in as well. We always seem to have uh, lots of manual handling incidents. You know, people cutting hands, injuring backs. It's, uh, it's always been a problem product. Although with the modern lightweight troughs we will discuss in a bit, installation is a one-person job. With the concrete troughs, installation is trickier. And how arduous depends on the size of the concrete trough in question. Depending on the size of the unit, if it's a smaller concrete unit, it would be one or two men lifting it in place. So levelling the the ground, digging it in uh, to the right depth and install it and backfilling to each side. Uh, If it's the larger units, you get like a frame that carries it and you have one man on each corner. So the coffin type uh, troughing lid, you'd have to have four people to lift them in. The larger troughs can be well over 100 kilograms, hence the hazard. And as we mentioned, there is a tendency for people to walk on them. Ideally, there is a path next to the track for people to walk on. But sometimes there isn't space or the terrain is unsuitable. And then you're just leaving people to their own devices and they'll take the path of least resistance, which is generally walking on the concrete troughing, which we don't want them to do. But this is not the only issue once they are installed. Rob takes a breath and gives a list of issues from his experience. They move because people walk on top of them and they shouldn't. Uh, We get machines at access points driving over them, so they should be adequately protected but aren't always. When there's 
uh, other works taking place alongside the track. For example, when we have tamping work. Tamping works are when you take the ballast away and clean it or replace it, and basically give the track and its base a shakedown. And that tends to dam- can damage some of the troughing as well. Also, when other projects follow up, so if one person's been in there, put it down, the first project that does it, it looks absolutely pristine. The next job, job that wants to come through and lay a, uh, a length of cable then has to take all of the lids off, so they genuinely just throw them off and they get damaged put the cable in, and then put the lids back on. Rob says that after COVID is done with, he'll be moving on to the Crew Hub project, an upgrade scheme that will improve capacity and also prepare the city for high-speed two trains. And he says it's his intention to use lightweight troughing and to ditch concrete, and expects other projects to follow. I think once word gets about uh, how much more benefit we get from lightweight products, we will see the old concrete phase out. I know I was one of the first, I wasn't the first, I was one of the first to put it in on a large job. And I look back at most of the injuries that we've had on larger projects have all been hand and back because of concrete crossing leads. And it's just always been the way that people have done it. And Rob says that if you are doing a smaller job, inertia kicks in. But with the larger jobs, you have an opportunity to step back and think about a better solution. Partly because, you know, if we're only doing a smaller job, let's say some kind of refurb, we would just take out the damaged ones, replace them and, and put them back. But on East West Rail, we had a real opportunity to do, because we were doing 10 miles, it was a real opportunity to do something differently because we were ripping out all the old and putting new back. You know, we were converting the line from a 30-stroke, 40-mile-an-hour line to a twin-track, 100-mile-an-hour track, so everything had to be ripped out and started again. It was a real opportunity. And there was a man waiting in the wings to take that opportunity. Yeah, I'm Stuart Wellens and I'm the CEO, Managing Director of Trojan Services Limited. Stuart's journey began leaving school at an early age and joining the world's largest producer of polyurethane foam as a cost accountant. By the time I qualified, I realised that accountancy wasn't for me and switched over to chemical and chemical engineering um, at the age, ripe old age of 22. And there he stayed, working in the chemicals industry for the next 28 years, before setting up his own company in the year 2000. A decision that he says was motivated by the boredom of corporate life, when really all he wanted to do was... Basically, new products and introducing innovation into existing uh, industries. 21 years ago, it was very much similar to what it is today. The environment, uh, recycling, all the same buzzwords. And what I did was to look at the recycled polymer industry and look for opportunities where we could use those products to give benefit to industry. His chemical background came into play and he noticed that recycled polymers were beginning to make inroads into traditional civil engineering applications. The use of concrete, heavy product, had all kinds of implications, not just the CO2 and the environment, but particularly health and safety. So having recognised that, I then saw um, an opportunity in the rail industry, who we are using large amounts of concrete for trackside cable protection. So this is what he did. 
he produced a recycled polymer cable trough. And the first question is, what is a polymer? Yeah, a polymer, in very simple terms, it's a chain of monomers. Monomers are molecules that can be linked together in a chain to form a structure, which has properties dependent on the constituent molecules. So that makes a polymer, and the polymer, polymers are very, very versatile, and you have a whole range of polymers. The recycled polymers are basically coming from thermoplastics. So a thermoplastic starts life off uh, as a, it's an oil derivative, it comes from, um, I won't go into great detail, but basically the two main products coming from the polyolefin industry are polypropylene, which most people have heard of, and polyethylene. And the versions we use are high-density polypropylene and high-density polyethylene. Both of which are nowadays manufactured in large-scale plants by specialised companies. Usually, a typical plant would produce 500,000 tonnes per annum of that polymer. And it will go into a variety of applications from oil pipes through to domestic bottles, plastic bottles, into milk bottles, uh, into laboratories for storing things as, as uh, severe as acids and, and so on. So very versatile products. And those polymers are the basis for the recycling industry. And the beauty of thermoplastic polymers is that they can be recycled any number of times. Obviously, there would be a limit. We've never reached that limit. So our products typically have been recycled maybe half a dozen times. So in other words, we've had our units have been supplied. We've taken those offcuts back uh, from a major project. We've recycled those, produced new products. And we've done that uh, recycling at least half a dozen times on various applications. But there would be a limit. That limit we've never found, and I'd, I'd like to think, not like to think, but I'm assured that you could recycle a polyolefin at least 30 or 40 times before it starts losing its properties. The main units could be recycled too, but with a 100-plus year theoretical design life, this is not something that is expected anytime soon. Stuart has had independent accelerated ageing tests done on his units, And despite some hardening of the surface from ultraviolet radiation, there was no practical effect. His big break came on the Thameslink programme, a £6 billion project to upgrade and expand the Thameslink rail network, a north-south rail route through London. The big breakthrough was Thameslink, and there is a bit of a story to that. First of all, I'd spent six years from the initial design, getting it through its testing, and then getting through its trial installation period, which was 12 months. So it took six years to get product approval by Network Rail, but that was then followed by a major order from Thameslink. And Thameslink were going through what they called the PSU, the Power Supply Upgrade for the Southeast, which was basically replacing the power cables. And at the start of the Thameslink project, they were using concrete troughing. And speaking with the project director who gave me my so-called first break, the big order, he'd had enough of concrete because of the number of breakages and rejects at the point of installation. 
So they've gone through the whole process of purchasing, delivering and supply to site. And at the point of installation, they would have numerous breakages and figures were reported at 30% rejects. So after that, let's go with the polymer. And we supplied polymer and we had no rejects, no breakages. And that was our first success. On the design of the unit itself, there are two variants in Stuart's latest generation of products, TroTread and TroPath. TroTread was developed first for Network Rail. To answer a particular request from the maintenance director of Scotland, uh, who wanted a 700 millimetre wide walkway, which is the Network Rail official width, minimum width for a walkway, and they wanted as much cable capacity underneath that walkway as possible. And that is because the routes up in Scotland, the older cable troughing routes were full of cable. So the cables were overspilling into the ballast. So basically we made an extremely large or deep trough so that they could get obviously high volumes of cables in. It's a meter long, it can vary in width. And the width, our smallest trough is uh, 300 millimetres wide. And that can go as wide as 700 millimetres wide. Matching the network rail walkway requirements. The depth of them varies from 150 mil deep to 350 mil deep. So it gives you some idea of the, the size of these things. This is also the product that Rob used for east-west rail phase one. But for phase two... Stuart developed TROPATH. This was in reaction to the Cable Troughing Innovation Challenge, which was put out by East West Rail. You did hear that right. An innovation challenge for cable troughing. We didn't expect it, but it runs alongside the entire line and that multiplies both in materials and the potential for injury. The idea was to optimise the troughing for the project-specific requirements. Reacting to the Cable Trough Challenge, innovation challenge was to reduce the depth of that trough to 200 millimetres because the east-west rail project are not using the kind of volume of cables that the Scottish uh, maintenance director wanted and basically what we've done if you take the comparison between tread and trough tread comprised of five parts five individual parts, all, all a metre long, but basically two sidewalls, a centrepiece and two half lids. Whereas TROPATH, it is basically three parts. It is a complete base and two half lids. So TREAD had to be assembled on site as it arrived. It had to be assembled. The base had to be assembled, whereas TROPATH doesn't require any assembly on site. These were improvements made along with the redesign for the new specification. They wanted to reduce the need for assembly on site. The fewer processes involved in installation, the less likely any issues will emerge. We've also um, introduced a new method of production. So we've gone to structural foam moulding rather than injection high pressure injection moulding and this has enabled us to be able to make or supply a one-piece base rather than a three-piece base. 
we are used to hearing about the imperative to use environmentally friendly materials, and although the weight reduction and associated injury prevention was the primary concern on East-West Rail, the removal of carbon and the fact that you need five times fewer trucks on the road to deliver the units has to be mentioned in light of the fact that COP26 is coming up in November. Stuart mentioned that it took six years to get approval for his product, so I took the opportunity to ask Rob about the industry's approach to innovation. I've been thinking about this for some time. In episode number 85, Concrete's Role in the Climate War, Stuart Norman of Keltbray took aim at the industry for not backing innovation as firmly as it could and called on bigger projects with the bigger budgets to do more and invest in new solutions and innovations. You generally don't want to be the person to be, to be trialling a product that's on your critical path because if it doesn't work, you've just lost your programme. My view is perhaps slightly different, is I think we, should, we need to push, push the boundaries and you, it's absolutely the, the new projects, you know, it's got to be in our remit to, to push the boundaries and do new stuff so that the other ones who haven't got as much budget and as much people can learn from that. So I think it's absolutely within the large project gift. The safe option is definitely to go with what's always been done, but you never learn in advance by doing that. Which for engineers who want to do things better, who want to find more economical, safer, more environmentally conscious solutions, it just seems... Strange, isn't it, really? I just tend to think that, as an industry, we need to get more slick, we've got to get more efficient with the challenges that we've got. So there should be a much bigger push to do that. You know, innovation should absolutely be one of our key measures. I asked Stuart what his thoughts on that are, as he's recently expanded into Canada and could bring a transatlantic perspective to how the industry operates. Yes, I, I, what we've noticed in the UK, we've been very successful at presenting our innovation and our answers to specific problems. Generally, that's been taken on board. However, the process of getting that product or that solution through the acceptance process is very complex and complicated and takes an inordinate amount of time. And what, what I would like to see is the kind of reaction which we've had from North America, where we've used the same kind of process as we did for the East-West Rail Innovation Challenge. We've used that very successfully for a major project in Canada, the Montreal Metro, where we presented ourselves exactly the same. We presented our, um, our design innovations, our approach to supplying the Canadian market and project, which was readily accepted with not too many questions asked in terms of how many people are you and can you do it? They trusted our commitment and our professionalism. And as a result of that, we've now been supplying North America's single biggest civil engineering project. We've been supplying them now for the last two years. And it's something that larger projects in the UK try to adopt. Crossrail tried to commit to using innovations, and High Speed 2 has its own innovation team, which Stuart is currently in talks with. As Rob says, it is in the gift of large projects to engage with SMEs and make use of innovation. 
once the technology has been developed and proven, the whole industry can benefit. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. Our producers are Alex Conacher, Bernadette Ballantyne, Rian Owen, Ross McPherson, John Young, Will North, Velo Mitrovic, and Tim Sheehan. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alex Conacher. My co-host was Rian Owen. Sounds Engineering by Ross McPherson. Series Supervision by John Young. And our own sustainable trough is Rory Harris. Special thanks to our episode partner, Trojan. And thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reb.media, on Twitter and on LinkedIn. <laughs>